Welcome to Rethinking Humanity Interviews. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so happy to be uh, with you today. It's Friday, the 19th of February. Our month on the theme of love continues. We have with us today, Dr. Logan Levkoff. We are so excited to have her. We're going to talk about how we can uplift sex in society. We're going to bring her in in just a second. But before we do that, Sonia, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You're, you know, I'm enjoying, uh, today's a little sunny here in Atlanta. It's chilly. Yeah. But I will say, Lacey, I appreciate um, my warm home and everything I have because, as we know, there's been crazy storms all over the country, yeah. specifically in Texas, the Southwest. So um, I just want to tell people to hang in there and uh, I'm thinking of them. Mm. And, you know, we're all one. I guess one society, we're all interconnected. So what's happening in other parts of the world or other parts of the country affect us. And I just want to do a shout out to, to those, I guess, that are trying to get power on and, you know, trying to get things back up. So. So sad to hear everything that's happening there. So we send our, our positive vibes, our love and support. As you guys can see, my background is different. I am back in the States. I will tell you more about that on an upcoming episode. Uh, and you know what else came with me, Sonia? From what else? My, my quiet punch. <laughs> it made it safely, so all is well. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you're back, Lacey. I'm so glad. I'm excited to see you in person uh, soon. So here we go. We're going to introduce Dr. Logan Levkoff. She has done some amazing things. I'm so excited to talk to her. She is an AASECT certified sex educator and sex edu educator supervisor. She served on the AASECT Board of Directors. She received her PhD in human sexuality from New York University, and she's written three books. One of them is called Got Teens, The Doctor Mom's Guide to Sexuality, Social Media, and Other Adolescent Realities. Uh, that was 2014. How to Get Your Wife to Have Sex with You. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was from 2010 and um, third base ain't what it used to be. What your wow. kids are learning about sex today and how to teach them to become sexually healthy adults. That sounds really good. As oh, yeah. a thought leader in the field of human sexuality and personal relationships, Logan frequently appears on television, including Good Morning America, the Today Show, the Rachel Ray Show, the CBS Early Show, Oprah, Fox News Channel and CNN. So we are super honored to have her today. Welcome, uh, Dr. Levkoff. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're in New York City, aren't you? I I am in New York City. So, um, yeah, I, I feel the same way about everyone who is suffering through the, the storms and all of the inequities associated with with storms now. I mean, we are, I don't know, I can, my, my window has some flurries outside, but we, we certainly know how, how complicated winter months can be. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. We are so excited to have you here. This is awesome with our month of theme of love. Um, this fits in perfect from what we're talking about. So <laughs> we wanted to start out, I wanna ask you is sex sells, right? Everything we see from advertising media is, you know, the sexuality showing people in these provocative positions. But at the same time, our culture, we have an issue talking about sex. There's a taboo about it. So could you speak to that? 
Yeah, without without a doubt. Um, I, I'm always fascinated by the the double standards that exist, at least in, in American culture and society as it relates to sex, because we use it for everything, right? For mm. things that actually have nothing to do with sex and sexuality. Um, and all of a sudden we have advertisements about it. Uh, and then on the on the flip side, though, um, we we. We either present sex really as salacious or gratuitous or pornographic or clinical and scary and shameful and dirty. Where I mean, most people's sexual lives operate in neither of those categories, but somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, which is which is quite typical, but we we do have incredible double standards. We're allowed to talk about sex under under certain parameters and for certain people, um, and it's not okay for others. And then the flip side of that is that we glorify violence all the time, but are terrified of sex. So uh, it, it's an interesting place to an interesting career space to be in. It's interesting raising children in a world where they're getting lots of mixed messages. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack. How how damaging is it to us as individuals and also as a society for to receive these mixed messages? What is what have you observed that it's doing to us? Yeah. So I think that the important thing to remember is that sexuality isn't a switch that gets turned on at a particular age. Right. Um, it's something that's a part of who we are from birth to death. And we just express our sexuality differently throughout our lives or we, we experience and understand it differently throughout our lives. But it, it's not really limited to what you like to do and who you do it with, which is unfortunately how how it's used commonly today. But sexuality really is everything from our gender identity and gender expression, um, how we communicate with one another, the roles we play in relationships, our body image, um, our, our, I said the roles we play in relationships already, our sexual feelings and desires, you know, just the, the way in which we choose to express ourselves and be seen in the world around us. So it's so much more than just like what you do with certain body parts. Um, and I think that when we focus sexuality as just behaviors or sexual orientation, um, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice, hmm. right? Um, and we're teaching people that there is a magic switch that gets turned on and only within certain relationships and within certain communities is that allowed. Um, and it teaches us that we are not entitled to speak up for ourselves, to demand pleasure, to, you know, to talk about consent. So it, it presents us with some significant challenges. If if we we want a certain type of relationship or experience, we have to feel comfortable talking about it and asking for it. But society doesn't always provide um, not just the opportunity, but the, the <laughs> empowering messages to suggest that that's okay. Yeah, I was going to say when you're hearing you talk, and um, you can answer if this is correct or not. So we're born as sexual beings. And I think part of that is not acknowledging that from, like you're saying, birth on. And so yeah. if the conversation doesn't start happening till a certain age where it's appropriate or whatever, then we've lost that whole time frame of uh, the acceptance of who we are. Right. I, I think that's exactly correct. It, it's a really scary thing for a lot of people to acknowledge that we are sexual beings from birth on, because for whatever reason, there is an assumption that the word sexual means having sex, wanting sex, needing sex, as if it's like one one 
Um, so that's really scary for people to, to have to acknowledge because then it, and for, it forces us to, to challenge all of the messages that we've received historically throughout our lives. And people don't really like to do that because it takes, it takes work yeah. to, to do that. Um, but you're right. This idea that we spend a, many years teaching young people that's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. Wait, you know, wait, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. And well, I mean, there is no right time. I mean, the right time is when they ask a question or when we have a question or an issue. Uh, but what happens is we inadvertently send the message by saying things aren't appropriate, that they're shameful, that you're not supposed to talk about them. You're not supposed to have questions about your body or touch your body or speak up about your body. And really, for a lot of us who are coming of age or becoming adults, like a lot of damage has already been done because we have no language for for talking about any of these things. Mm. Yeah, you know what's interesting is um, I've worked with kids uh, for most of my life, and I know, and I was I've nannied as well, and I remember uh, changing a a little a baby boy's diaper at some point, and him having a little erection, and I was like, "Wow, this is like there 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 is a an element of of us enjoying that is maybe sexual, I guess you could say from." from birth. And so that's kind of ties to what you were saying, Sonia, is like, I think we compartmentalize it. And because of society, we're like, oh, well, after you turn a certain age, then you're sexual. <laughs> no, we're sexual beings. Right. Or, or you know, or bodies work or right. things happen to bodies because that's how bodies work, right? It's not about necessarily about the context. It's that if blood flows to your genitals, that tissue is going to get erect. <laughs> Right, for, for lots of different reasons. Um, but but because we make it so, we, we think of it in these adult terms, an erection means desire. And yeah, I mean, some, sometimes it does, but sometimes it's, you know, just because the wind blew in the right direction. Mm. Right, right. Do you think um, one of the ways that we start to combat these ideas is through education, mm -hmm. through conversation, through, or what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big believer in using every opportunity available to us to um, demythify uh, sex and sexuality. So yeah, I, it absolutely starts with good, comprehensive, inclusive, ethical, sexual, pleasure-focused sexuality education. Um, but the truth is not every person can do that. Not every system is set up to do that. Not every educator who wants to has access or the skills to do that, right? That, that especially if they've learned in one particular type of environmental, uh, type of educational system that has put a lot of shame and abstinence only focus into the mix. So it, it does, it's doable, but it doesn't come without challenges. I think it's a partnership with parents and caregivers and medical providers and community members in general to, to talk about what makes us happy and healthy and fulfilled human beings. It's all of our jobs to do a little bit of the work. It's not just one. I mean, obviously, uh, family Family, parents, guardians are, are responsible for giving the the values associated with with sex and sexuality and relationships. I can't do that in a classroom. Um, I can provide lots of perspectives, but it's not my job to tell people how to how to think, what to do. Um, the, those are deeply personal. Uh, but 
families can do that, but of course they have to provide facts too. You know, my, I always tell parent groups when I'm working with them, you just use an old, an old shame message. You, you might not like that your young people masturbate. Right. You might not like it, right? But you can't tell them they're going to go blind because of it. <laughs> Which happens, man. <laughs> I mean, we have we've said we wanted to talk about this, but there's so many uh, there's certainly religious um, groups and and organizations who shame the hell out of sex and masturbation is like so, so wrong in their eyes. And so that's I think that's quite phys physically unhealthy, uh, physiologically unhealthy for us. I wonder if you could speak to that as well. Yeah, there are there are lots of messages in in lots of religious or spiritual traditions. Some can be incredibly empowering and and positive and welcoming, and and some clearly are not, right? That are rooted in in shame and and actually rooted in a lot of misogyny too. Like let's yeah. let's be honest, it's not yeah. it's not exactly like it's not okay for everyone. It's not okay for some of you, right? Yeah. There, there's the those those double standards and. Um, in action again. But but I think just to use masturbation as an example, there are so many emotional, physical, relationship, health benefits from masturbation that I that we tend to forget. Um, and, and yeah, obviously pleasure is one of one of those those positive outcomes, but it's actually more than that, right? Because knowing that your body has the capacity for pleasure on its own is empowering and it also means we don't rely on other people to fulfill us in in a way mm -hmm. that we can, we can do ourselves mm -hmm. um, we're not seeking out partners that might not be great partners because we need someone to legitimize the fact that we have these these feelings wow. also i mean it is really hard from a from like a strict medical perspective it's really hard to know when something doesn't feel right for your body or feels off medically from a function perspective, from a feel or, or, um, or, or visual, visual perspective, if you don't know what the baseline is for your body, right? So if you don't mm -hmm. look at your genitals, if you don't see what they're like and how they typically mm -hmm. feel, how do you identify when something is off? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what speaks to me when you bring up pleasure, I think our society, we even have a problem, the puritanical idea that, you know, that we feel pleasure. And like you said, it's not just the sexuality, it's just feeling good. And I do think that that mm -hmm. definitely there's a misogynistic message there, too, because men, I think, are taught culturally a little different than women of what, you know, what we can expect, uh, how, how to feel good about ourselves. Yeah, well, and if you think about how traditional it takes takes sex out off the table, just puberty <laughs> education, basic bio, you know, seventh grade biology. You know, mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time focusing. I mean, it's obviously binary, right? Let's just acknowledge that. There's not a lot of discussion about anyone who isn't assigned male or female. So the concept of even discussing people who are intersex is usually wow, yeah, yeah. from a conversation, um, mm -hmm. but, which is which is bad enough. In addition to that. Most of how we focus puberty education is on erections and ejaculation. And even though there is fluid that might come out of the penis one day, there is an innate conversation about pleasure that takes place in those conversations, which is great. I mean, I, for everyone. On the flip side, 
we spend a lot of time focusing on the uterus and menstruation and solely on our reproductive potential. Mm-hmm. And don't spend a lot of time talking about the vulva, the clitoris, how the clitoris and penis are basically exactly the same, just arranged differently. Um, so, so even in an educational setting, we say you're set up for reproductive potential. We never even acknowledge innate pleasure. <laughs> like, yeah, you're set up for reproductive potential, but it's going to be fun for you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Wow. That the the contrast, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think back to I think back to my own education. I've had this conversation many times over. I mean, I I know the word clitoris was never ever used until I mean, until probably I was a sexual health educator in, in college. Amazing. Which speaks to me also on the parent side. So if you are a parent who's been raised with those taboo issues, it's got to be challenging to then talk to your child about the sexuality that you can't even acknowledge within yourself. Very challenging. The, the one thing I, I ask parents, and, and, and really any adult figure in a young person's life, right? Because not everyone is a parent, but, but everyone has people around them that they impact in some way. Um, I, I often ask people to think about how their lives might have been different if the messages they received about sex and sexuality were different. And that's really the first step, right? Before you can convince people to, to change the messaging or like stop the cycle of the same messaging, you have to get buy-in. And part of that buy-in comes from people thinking about, you know, what... Maybe those messages didn't set me up for success. You know, maybe my choices would have been different. Maybe I would have found my voice earlier. Um, maybe my experiences would have been a lot more pleasurable. Uh, my partners would have been more equitable and thoughtful. Um, so I think the first thing is to ask that, right? What, how would it have been different? And then to think about, okay, now that you know that, how do we start conversations that we're not always comfortable with, that mm-hmm. we don't always have all the information about and, and take ownership of that? And some of that comes simply from saying to the people in your life, I, I want to have these conversations with you. I'm nervous about it because I didn't have these conversations and they certainly weren't positive, but I want to do better for you. Mm. Right. And that's and that's that's a really it's a really powerful position to come from. And it lets the people in your life know that you're human, too. Right. We're, mm-hmm. valuable, we're, we're imperfect and, and we don't always have the information, but that's OK. Yeah, I, I think it speaks to a need for some humility and just being able to communicate effectively about about feelings and about reality. I think there's a big um, there's a lot of pressure in our society to know know all the answers. And yeah. when we can come to a place where we can say, look, I don't know all the answers, um, but I'll share with you what I do know and and do it in an effective way. That's really powerful. And that's uh, that can be a challenge sometimes. It, it can definitely be a challenge, especially as an adult to admit that you don't <laughs> you don't know everything. Uh, I, I constantly acknowledge that I don't know everything. I mean, I have a I have a, a, a almost 12 year old and an almost 16 year old. And there, there are definitely things that, that they know that I don't know. And that's OK. I think it, it's an old school thought. Um, to think that you can only be taught by people who are older than you. (laughs) I think learning takes place up and down the generational ladders and there's perspective to, to that, that we, we need, we need to be exposed to in order to grow as human beings. So 
I'm certainly constantly willing to learn from them as much as they're willing to learn from me. That's that's a good approach. Um, I wanted to ask you too, one of the things that Lacey and I have touched upon before uh, is how does abuse fit into the sexuality? You know, you hear, there's a lot of stories, and I, like I told Lacey, probably every woman I've ever met has had some instance of abuse. And I don't know if this speaks to suppression of sexuality in our society or, or where this is coming from, that it's so prevalent. Um, and what your experience has been with that. So lots of people have experienced trauma and abuse across all across all genders. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the, the issue, I mean, even starting from there, it's probably important to recognize that we don't always leave room for people who are male or male, you know, identified in some way to even discuss those things because we have this weird idea that that abuse is linked to masculinity or lack thereof, and and mm -hmm. you speak up about something, then then what does that mean about you as a as a man? So that that's that's problematic as well. Um, I think that without a doubt, our our inability to have language for our bodies, to talk about pleasure, to talk about things that don't necessarily feel good, um, comes from our, often comes from our unwillingness to have conversations about sex and sexuality. If we create, if we create taboos around all of these things, we are not going to speak up or disclose when something is good, and we are not going to speak up and disclose if something is bad. Right. And, and that cycle, that, that cycle continues because we just pass along that guilt and that shame and that and that trauma. Um, and I think that the, the the I can't speak to, you know, why, why people abuse. But what I would say is I, I think that we have these really um, problematic expectations of relationships, of sex. And, and the way in which we are supposed to exist as sexual beings, these, these old, old models rooted in, in these double standards, right? And these, these fairly rigid definitions of femininity and masculinity. And all of that perpetuates a lot of the unhealthy um, behaviors in, in people's relationships. And in turn is why, why we don't speak up because we think, oh, yeah. this is what's supposed to happen because I'm this person and they're that person. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. And also, you know, from a female perspective, I'm not necessarily supposed to enjoy this. It's not really about me enjoying it. It's about him enjoying it. <clears throat> Is that something that you've seen a lot of in your work as a pattern with women? Well, I, just the idea of, of pleasure with women could be really challenging because oftentimes we don't, well, let, let's let's go back to pop culture for a second. If if our only images of sex, and in this case, we'll talk about you know heterosexual sex, is everyone sort of immediately feeling desire, right? At any moment, my my partner comes home, I can drop my pants and I'm ready to go, um, and it's always pleasurable, and everyone's always screaming, and it looks so fabulous. If my experiences aren't that, and by the way, most people's experiences are not that right, right. Um, we start we start to think when we don't have these open conversations and, and reality checks about sex and desire and equity um we start to think that there's something wrong with us right perpetuates that oh it's about you 
I, I'm not supposed to feel this or, or I'm broken because I'm not, I don't feel those things. And I'm not going to speak up because I, because there's something wrong with me. And then there's a third option, right? Because if everyone is experiencing pleasure all the time, we look at the partner we're with and think, well, if I'm not feeling that, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. None of it's good. Really. None of it is, is good. I would also speak to with women, at least this is my thought process is there, there's this performance uh, that women are supposed to put on, right? No, irrelevant of how you're feeling. The idea is to get, get the man or to get, you know, someone to like you, you have to go through these activities that maybe you don't even want to do. Yeah. Performative expressions of sexuality and pleasure, I, I, I think have never been successful for us, for any, for any of us, right? We never, we never get what we want if, if it's not genuine and authentic to us. That's right. Um, so if the end goal is, what, by the way, whatever the end goal is, if it's consensual non-monogamy, if it is monogamy, if it's if it's a one night experience, whatever it is, right. going through the motions because you think that's what's expected of you um, is never going to get you to what you want in the end. That, that's an unhealthy way to do anything, sex, life, work, whatever it right. is. Uh, if you're just you're you're just a machine at that point that's performing for someone else instead of, you know, embodying yourself and really like being who you are. But we do it a lot and we cross we our it. fingers and hope that the other person or people are going to magically figure out or intuit what we want, mm -hmm. which well, also doesn't really ever happen. Yeah, I also think people use sex as power, right? Like I'm giving this person, you know, so I'm going to get something back. Maybe it's not pleasure. Maybe it's a financial stability or something, you know, whatever they're, it's used for different motives, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's okay to say that, that people's contributions to relationships are different, all meaningful, but not every, you know, some people have a, a greater emotional burden. Some people have a greater financial burden or, but, but in, in the end, in order for a partnership, again, whether it's for a minute or a lifetime or anywhere in between, all of those contributions have to be respected and valued. Right. They're all, they're all important. Like the, the structure runs because of everyone's involved involvement. Right. People are, everybody's engaging. And so that's why it's actually a thing. I love what you said about masturbation. Um, I think that's very empowering realizing that we ourselves can give ourselves what we need um, and we don't have to be dependent on someone else outside of us um, for that. And obviously it's wonderful when we can have that experience. Um, but I really like how empowering that is um, the idea and that thought process. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I, I want to raise a help to raise an, the next generation of people who, who really feel empowered by their bodies, who know what their bodies are capable capable of, who don't need to rely on other people, but should they, should they choose to share their bodies with another person, that their experience is enhanced by that. But it's not, it's not something they need to, to rely on. I remember year, years ago, I was doing a TV show and I was saying that one of the questions that I got most often from men or one of the comments was that they wanted to learn how to pleasure their female partners, but the their partners wouldn't wouldn't speak up and explain it to them. Hmm. 
And I thought, first of all, amazing question. And 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 <laughs> breaking the idea that partners don't don't really care about someone else's pleasure, that they're only in it for their own. Um, but when I when I had this conversation and said this comment, some of the women in the audience were so angry that um <laughs> that that they said someone said to me, Are you telling me I don't pleasure my man? I said no, that's that has absolutely nothing to do with it. What I'm saying is that the the success of an experience is going to depend on whether or not you can both communicate your needs. But we you can't look at someone else and think they're going to magically read your mind. I mean, especially if they don't live in the same type of body because they've no idea how it works. Mm. And if you don't know how it works, well, then that's another problem too. Right. Yeah. How can a woman tell a man what to do that makes her feel good if she doesn't know it herself? Yeah. But people do that all the time, right? Because if you don't encourage people to explore their bodies and think about what feels fulfilling, and fulfilling has a lot of different potential definitions, then then we expect that someone else is going to figure it out, mm -hmm. right? Because well, I know I'm supposed to feel pleasure, but I'm not the one who's supposed to figure it out. So I guess it's on them. Right. And especially when we have been told, don't masturbate. <laughs> That's not okay. Yeah. It's certainly understandable that we're in a place where we're like, okay, well, I guess it'll just magically happen. I don't have to know myself. I don't have to know my body. I don't have to communicate that. And the guy should just figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, the language, and the language we use around that too. I mean, there, I'm... I'm a big believer in, in using correct anatomical terms. Like I, I don't really care what people use with friends or at home, but like, but like from a, from a universal language perspective, I, I think it's important that we understand that we're, that, that body parts have correct names. I don't like interchangeable names. I don't like names that are like pejorative that are meant to like infantilize body parts. I, I don't like any of that. Um, or I don't like these generic terms like private parts. Um, and the reason for that is, I mean, yeah, okay, so for the most part, you see these parts in the privacy of like your own room or bathroom or whatever. And, and the parts are personal to you, meaning that you are in control of them. But I think particularly for young people, if you hear that something is private over and over and over again for like five, six, seven, eight years, that word private becomes synonymous with secretive. Yes. Which means we're not going to talk about it. We're afraid to talk about it. There's there's some shame built into it. And sometimes doctors do that too, right? I've I've had over the course of, you know, my as my eldest is a teenager, doctors who have used certain terms like we need to examine your private parts. I'm like, well, we don't use that term. I'm like, so you you can use the real term. <laughs> but, uh, please use the real term and you can certainly still ask them for their consent, but just we don't we don't need to we don't need to pretend it, it doesn't have a name. <laughs> well, I'm curious, doctor, if you in your studies have seen cultures that do better than Ooh. say the American culture, like Love throughout the world, like maybe yeah. in Europe or in in other countries. I'd just be fascinated to know maybe where they do a better job or I know there's areas I'm sure they're they're are struggling with all these issues, but Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective. There's, there's always been a lot of work that the Netherlands typically does some really amazing work in um, in the sexuality space, especially with uh, parent-child conversations and, and this really early education about sex and sexuality in this beautifully shame-free way. I, I, I do think there's there's opportunity for growth 
in the states in this area. There's all there's always room for for improvement, but I I tend to think that we often don't. Let me backtrack for a second. The, the majority of people in the United States want their young people to have access to high quality, comprehensive sex ed, right? Like they 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 don't want um, they don't want the alternative, right? Uh, but the problem is, oftentimes in school systems, you don't really know what's being taught. If there's anything that's being taught, who's teaching it? What's their particular perspective? And then it becomes super political. Um, yeah. it, it, it's on us in our communities, and not even just as if parents or guardians in the community, but like as community members to find out. What is being taught to the young people who are living in this area? Mm. And am I okay with it? Um, the, the, the statistics in, on sex ed in the United States, some of it is so just, it, there are, not all states require medically accurate sex ed in this country. I mean, just think about that for one second. Like I could go into a class and just make shit up and apparently it's okay. Oh my God. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't do that clearly, but there's, there's, I mean, there, oh. not every state has to provide, me, provide medically accurate. That is insane. That is shocking. And it's, I not, know. Uh, but I mean, the, the initial response is you laugh because it's so absurd. It's absurd. It's not yeah. funny. It's not. Right. I mean, oh. and think about, you know, to both of your earlier questions, how much our adult experiences or or feeling sexually oppressed or or shameful in some way start from all of that so imagine someone deliberately lying to you yeah. about your body or yeah. about your relationships or your family structures mm. now statistically are and i don't know the statistics are kids having sex earlier nowadays or not because, nope. you know, there's different, like, things out there. Okay. Yeah, they're not. It, so it's it's always funny to me because I think we tend to forget, deliberately forget, that the hallmark of adolescence is exploring and expressing your sexuality. Mm. Doesn't mean that everyone does, but, like, that is a five to seven year time frame where you are figuring out your body and how you want it to exist in the world, potentially with someone else. I don't know when we all of a sudden, or like at what age we we deliberately forget that that's an important part of adolescence, but but we do um, because we, we do a lot of those adolescents are bad, adolescents are incapable of making smart decisions about sex, um, you know, all of these sensationalist alarmist headlines. And and in reality, it's not true that, that I mean, in terms of penis in vagina intercourse, the average of, of first sexual vaginal intercourse really has not changed in Ooh. all of these years. Um, and in fact, lately, it was going down prior to COVID, and now it's gone down again. I mean, yeah, young people aren't really having a lot of sex at all, right. um, which to me comes with its own challenges. Right, right. Of course. I mean, that's the time of your life that you're set to develop in that way. So if you're skipping that, that can't be a good thing. Well, it, it's also... I mean, it, part of it is finding out 
how your body how your body works but it's also in developing those really critical intimacy skills being able to talk about feelings learning how to flirt you know learning how to deal with rejection you know figuring out all of those social dynamics which are so critical to who we become as adults and how we operate in our adult relationships i mean i was feeling badly about our young people prior to March of last year, I'm feeling a hell of a lot worse now yeah. um, because all of those opportunities are, they don't, they don't have access to. Yeah. yeah. I, I was telling Lacey that this morning because I read an article about the depression and we're talking about the age, the kind of adolescent age and the, even going into college that they're just demoralized of not being able to communicate, interact, you know, personally with their peers and being isolated. I, I told her I would be so depressed if I was, living that living that lifestyle you know it's it's hard it's it's really hard and i was saying to um i my my son has given me consent to share this story but we i said to him the other day he wanted to go out um for lunch with some of his friends they were gonna you know pick up sandwiches and meet in the park and so i i yelled out behind him i'm like be careful be safe you know do you, do you have a mask do you have purell the whole <laughs> the whole more, the works and then when he came home, I said to him, I said, I have to tell you, I feel so badly because I'm supposed to be saying be safe and careful to you, but it's not supposed to be about that. Mm. Right? Mm. It's supposed to be about lots of lots of other lots of other things. Um, and I think that that it, there's gonna come a point where a lot of adults who are raising teenagers now in some way are going to have to own the fact that this is a sad time for young yeah, people. It's, it's a, it's a grief, you know, it's a loss for them. That's what, that's how I feel. So I, I hear you. It's mm. tough. Yeah. And, and single people too. I mean, it's not nearly as uh, impactful, I would imagine, because, you know, young people, single people who are already adults are not developing in their sexuality. Right. Uh, but it's still impactful. It's it is yeah. difficult. It's like really, really, really difficult. Well, and also you, young adults and, and, you know, 20 somethings, 30 somethings are also figuring out the types of relationships they want. And maybe they're at a place now where like they, they get it. They know what, the, how they want to connect with someone else, the type of relationship or partnership they might want. And then all of a sudden you throw a giant wrench into any potential connection that you have though i though i will say the the tried and true um pure health educator in me loves the idea that now we have to talk about masks the way we talk about condoms so I, i'm i think it's i think it's an important skill to have to learn to have tough conversations about risk management and health mm -hmm. decisions um and and i think it'll help with with masks and i also think it's going to help with safer sex too the more yeah, actually, speak to the safer sex, because I know you had a big promotion with the condoms. So talk <laughs> to us about that. Yeah. So I I started in this uh, field when I was 15 years old. Um, I was a peer HIV and AIDS educator because my it was this really beautiful blip in time in the early 1990s where in my community anyway, HIV was being discussed as a virus that didn't discriminate. It wasn't about race. It wasn't about sexual orientation or gender or nationality. It was a, it was an opportunistic virus and there were a few ways you got it. And that was, that was it. And my, my parents became very involved in education and fundraising efforts um, for HIV and AIDS education. And my mom and her best friend started our, our neighborhood's first, um, 
HIV and AIDS awareness program that that wound up training p- teenagers to talk about safer sex and HIV risk um, to school systems in, in the, all of the, the neighborhoods. So I came home after school one day and there were condoms and bananas on my dinner table. My parents were like, this is how you use a condom. And next week you become an, a peer trainer. And it wasn't like we were so liberal. It was that, you know, there was something at stake. And it, you know, it, as a as a responsible adult, you couldn't stick your head in the sand and say, "I'm going to let someone else do this." Yeah. Um. So I I am I have been a proud proud proponent of condoms forever. I love them. I think they're so important, and they are an, a, an incredibly important tool for for people to have access to. Um. So yeah, I do a lot of it, it's National Condom Week. It's depending on how you look at it, but um, it's, there's so much misinformation still about condoms. The pictures we see are all the condoms from the 1980s. They look different. There are so many innovations. So it's it's important to remember that the sexual health field has definitely gotten bigger and also better. So condoms, let me ask you. So the idea, the old idea was that men didn't feel pleasure with the condoms. So obviously that's a myth because there's probably all kinds out there. So we've the, the biggest problem with that that myth. Now, look, does sex with a condom feel different than sex without a condom? Sure. I mean, okay. I mean, it's but it's also still sex, and the lubricants on them are really good. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't mean you can't experience pleasure. I mean, is it different? Sure, it's different. Um, but but I think that that myth gets perpetuated down the generational line, so to speak. And people start repeating that before they've actually ever had any sexual experience before, Mm -hmm. which is frustrating because if I'm sitting in a classroom with 15 year olds and they're like, Oh, I know condoms don't feel good. I'm like, how do you know that? Just (laughs) curiosity. Yeah. (laughs) Have have you had the ability to compare and contrast? So, I, so I, I think that that's a real that that's a real challenge that we have, and and part of that gets perpetuated by sex educators when we don't talk about all of the innovations, when we don't talk about all of the 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 new statistics or new ways to to look at sexual health. So, um, I will never apologize for for being uh, pro condom. Um, you know, if, if you or a partner has a penis, external condoms are a really important tool. They just are. Uh, so, and they're super easy and accessible, which everyone, yeah. everyone forgets about access, right? Like that's true. That's true. an issue. Good point. Well, we're very fortunate for that in this country and that, um, birth control is accessible, widely available. Um, there's not really a stigma. I, I don't think not like in other countries, uh, here. So that's a, that's a, a gift. You know, we're very fortunate for that. Yeah. I mean, we, we, there's a, there's always room for improvement. We can make mm-hmm. things less expensive and more accessible and we can deal with the insurance issue. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, I keep thinking that um, rush, mm. yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. R- rush went after Sandra Fluke and called her a slut for advocating for, right. for uh, you know, um, healthcare access to, to contraception. So mm. <laughs> The yeah, stories that, just keep coming, keep coming. Yeah, that, that's a huge one. I think the accessibility, because not everyone has the means to purchase uh, birth control. So 
that is important. And like you're saying, well, the story you told about your parents is so cool <laughs> because how awesome is that, that you come home, there's the bananas and the condoms. Like, I don't think a lot of people have that. Yeah. So, may, I, I mean, if you have, if you ask my parents if they had thought that at that very moment it was going to foreshadow the rest of my life, uh, <laughs> never. I mean, never believed it. Uh, and again, it wasn't. I, I don't. I don't see myself as having such a liberal household. Though I will say that I grew up with a younger sister, and it was my father, our father in particular, who who said to us, "Sex and sexuality are really important parts of your life." And there are no double standards in our home because you're both girls. And whenever you make a decision, I will be okay with it if it's something that you want and you're protected. And it's not because, it, you know, a partner is, is demanding it of you. Mm. And that, that, that always has lingered in my head that that, that message. And at the time, particularly from our father, uh, I mean, was a pretty powerful. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. I mean, I would imagine that most kids don't have a conversation with their parents about sex. Many, 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 many. A lot don't. I, I mean, I, I will say my, my kids are obviously at this point the, <laughs> the exception, not the rule. I, I always laugh when my kids go to school and they have the, like the health workshops where someone comes in and says, I'm sure no one has conversations about sex at the dinner table. And my kids are like, actually, we do. <laughs> we do. It's like talking about, you know, whatever's on the on the television at the at the very moment. We, we have these conversations ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to tell you a personal thing listening to you talk. Um, my daughter, uh, when I was she was growing up, I was really close to her friends. They would come to me for like advice. And I found it was way easier for me to talk to them and be vulnerable than talk to her. It's interesting. And I don't know, I think it's the parent child thing because they would just share everything and I'd be like, you know, telling them what I thought and giving them support. But it was, it's, it's a little more challenging with your child. At least that was my experience. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way because maybe it's this perception that the stakes are higher with your own child, mm -hmm. that if you say something, and, and again, depending on who your kid is, are there some kids that use our material against us? Sure, right? I mean, and I think sometimes we don't want to we don't want to necessarily see the wrong thing and have it come back to haunt us and and where where it just feels like it might it's easier with other people because they're still going to go back and and perhaps check against their values in their own home. So it's I absolutely understand the the um the challenge that lots of people have. And again, if you don't have models for, for this, right. your parents did not talk to you in a way that was helpful, I should say. It's really hard to do it for your own children, which is why we need to, to break past that discomfort and just say, you know what? My job is to send you out into the world ready and capable of, of tackling everything that the world throws at you. And that includes talking about sex. Yeah. yeah and, and I just thought of something that Lacey and I talk a lot about, um, you know, our world, it's, it's, you're kind of encapsulated in your little family instead of a community. And I believe that a community would be, you know, we, we need to live more communal. So you have other resources, other adults, other people that you can trust because the way our culture is now, it's more, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're kind of isolated. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, I think that, all of the 
all of the different people, groups, systems within a community can be helpful in rearing healthy people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and different perspectives are important. I, I don't anticipate that my, my kids are going to do or believe every single thing that I believe in in exactly the same way, but I hope they get enough perspectives that they can make an informed decision that best reflects their own their own values. I, I think about it a lot. I, I'm I'm Jewish, um, and I've done a lot of I've done a lot of work actually, sex ed work within the Jewish community. And I'm I'm always so I'm super appreciative of having that opportunity, but also so appreciative when religious or spiritual communities are willing to talk about these issues with not just adults but with young people and creating a space to have these really important conversations in a setting that people assume isn't willing to mm. talk about intimate issues. Look at that. I like it. That's yeah, I mean, and everything from, I mean, not not just, you know, explicit sexual health, but gender and identity. And and it, it's been, it's it's been really incredible. So yeah, there are plenty of places that don't do those things, but there are also a lot that do. Um, and we should certainly give them credit because, I mean, when we think about a community, the community in, a, in its broadest sense, places of worship and, and faith and spiritual places do provide a lot of values and, and sometimes surprise us with what they're willing, willing to talk about. True. That, yeah. That's encouraging that um, the story you're telling right now, it's, it is important, like you said, to have the spaces where you have trust and uh, support. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, I mean, that's key. And, and sometimes Simply being being there, um, just to say, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to tell you what you should do. I'm here. I'm here to to <laughs> be a sounding board. And if you want my perspective, I'll give it to you. Um, but in the end, you, you'll know what's what the right decision is for you. And I don't think we do that a lot with young people. We're very quick to to say what we think they should do and not give them a lot of credit, which is not great for future relationship skills no. and relying on the adults in their life. Exactly. Decisions for them. That is correct. How can they uh, become that independent decision maker? <laughs> they, they won't. They can't. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, wow. You know, I think it's interesting to talk to about the sex positive movement. Is that is that a thing? A sex positive movement or just being sex positive? Um, I think that's something our listeners might enjoy knowing a little bit more about and probably fits in with everything that we're talking about at this point. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of different um, different terms for different movements within the, the sexuality community. I think at, at its core, the idea of sex positive is it means that we we lead from a place where sex and sexuality are good. Right. They're not something we should be ashamed of or feel badly about. They should be something that we are empowered by as well as empowered to learn and, and more about. Um, I do think that that where the sexuality education movement is is has been and is moving more into is this idea of inclusivity. So. I mean, not just racial, ethnic, gender, but disability, body shape and size. I mean, there there is so much that um, 
when I think about what sexual, what it means to be sexually healthy, and I think there are a lot of ways that we define that and a lot of different pillars within that, within that category. The, the one thing I, I, I really believe is that so much of our ability to be sexually healthy depends on whether or not we see ourselves represented. Yeah. Whether we see that we exist that we are entitled to be a part of a conversation, to have a sexuality, to have a voice, to wow. experience pleasure. So we 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 are we as a as a com community as a profession. Um, I think we are doing a better job. I think we have a long way to go. Um, but it's really important. The, the the representation piece impacts our self esteem, our ability to consent, to have a voice, to talk about pleasure and equity. So. I mean, all, all the trajectory is a is a positive is a positive one, but there's always room, always sure. room, always, sure. yeah, always. That's exciting. <laughs> so, um, before as we wrap up, I want to know, um, other than your own, which I'm certainly checking out, what books do you recommend for folks? Most of our listeners are are book folks. We're definitely book folks. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's some wonderful, there's some wonderful books out there. And of course, every time someone asks me for a book, my entire, my mind goes blank. And then I forget every book that I've read in the last few years. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, from a, from a desire, you know, from an understanding desire perspective, I think that uh, Dr. Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are is oh, wow. top notch. Um, my friend is sex therapist Ian Kerner. He has a new book coming out, I want to say in the next couple of months, and I, I, I don't remember the title, but having to do with sex and intimacy and partnerships. Um, I just helped review a book. Megan Stubbs is a sexologist, Dr. Megan Stubbs, and has a book uh, coming out, I want to say maybe in April, called... Um, <laughs> it's it playing. It, it's about the ways ways to experience sexual pleasure um, as someone who's unpartnered, which I think which gets back to the whole conversation about masturbation, right. uh, which is which is a really enjoyable and fresh way of of thinking about sex and sexual pleasure, regardless of one's relationship status. So there there's there's always lots of good stuff. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. That's so helpful. Well, we'll be uh, checking those out and then, of course, checking checking your books out. And what what do you have going on in your life right now? What are you what are you date on a daily basis? Are you working with couples? How? how yeah. So I work. I mean, I'm an educator by profession, a sexuality educator. So I um, most of my life. Well, most of my life was prior to <laughs> March of last year um, yeah. spent in classrooms. So I design and implement the sex ed programs in um, about eight uh, schools in Manhattan oh. and in the surrounding areas. That's that's like my weekly life, okay. um, which I miss very much because sure. I'm teaching a little bit virtually. Mm. But it, it's sexuality education is you know, there, there is a, there is a dance to it. There is a performance aspect of it. And I don't mean that in a superficial way. I, it's about connecting with the people in front of you and knowing and them knowing that you see them and that you respect them and that they matter. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really, that's hard to do uh, via Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Way. So uh, I am 
I'm doing a lot less teaching these days, sadly, just because it's schools are barely getting it together. Right. Sex ed is not necessarily top of the priority list for them right now, sadly. Right. Um, because puberty yeah. and sexuality go on, even if you're not yeah. in <laughs> <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> like stops for COVID. But um, but I I, an I eagerly anticipate being back with my with my students and um that's 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 my day-to-day -day life. My day-to-day -day life is primarily working with young people mm -hmm. uh, and and doing what I think that as an adult I wish, you know, I wish I had in a classroom. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Just being able to give back like that. That's awesome. That's what I want to do too. Well, thank you so much for being here. I think this has been a super enlightening conversation, <laughs> helpful for how we can rethink the way we approach sexuality as individuals and as a society. And um, we're just, we had a blast, so. Yeah, this well, was awesome. We'll be posting all of your information so people can check it out, but yeah, I love this. I could talk about this for hours, so <laughs> it's very, very informative, very, very good. Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is, I, I am a big believer that the root of most of our issues societally comes from our inability to speak, um, kindly about sex and sexuality so yeah to give me a good. platform to to you know rant on that is always a, it's always a fun thing for me so thank you <laughs> thank you all right and thank you all for listening and uh, we will see you next time